Hello everyone, thanks for tuning in to this week's Matter Loading Session. I'm Nina. I'm Kyle. You might be listening to this because you're preparing for the second day of EIDC tomorrow, so we see you. But you might also be listening to this just because you want to keep yourself updated. Either way, thank you for making us a part of your Matter Loading routine. Today, we recap the week by talking about South Korea's vaccine rollouts, China's courting of the Taliban, a plunder case happening right now in Malaysia involving a former debater, Heidelin Diaz's win, the sauna, an effort to sanitize controversial religious figures so that's my jam we're also gonna talk about simone biles and also updates on the free britney movement so we can start now with south korea's vaccine rollouts yeah. nina could you tell us a bit more about this yeah so we're gonna look at the international sphere for a moment so we'll start with the slow rollouts for south korea's vaccines and this is interesting because South Korea used to be the model in dealing with COVID-19 and all of its issues. But suddenly with its vaccine rollout, it's, it's falling behind in being that role model for everyone else. And this is harmful because the country has only been able to give vaccines to people in their 50s. The expected waiting time for a single dose is 111 hours, 23 minutes, and 52 seconds. That's on average. Obviously, those numbers are not going to be the same for everyone. This meant that there's a bottleneck of more than 400,000 people before the new person gets vaccinated. This means that the path to herd immunity is fairly slow for South Korea because only 34.9% of 52 million people have received their first shot. Not even their second shot yet, we're just talking about their first shot. This is slow compared to the 55% to 70% vaccination rates in other developed nations. So South Korea has hit basically a record high with additional 1,672 cases per day, which is harming a lot of their economy as well as the people on the ground. Yeah, so I, I feel like this is a bit debatable in the sense that that the reason why there's a big bottleneck is basically the fact that let's say you're let's say you lined up to get a vaccine and then all of a sudden there's this person who is of a certain age or higher and then they come in and they ask for a vaccine they get the priority so they're allowed to cut in line so I, I feel like that's where the bottleneck comes from and the thing is the if it's harming that much people that that many people right it brings to mind the debate about who should we prioritize because these people that they're being that are that are being prioritized they are definitely the most vulnerable people to the disease but at the same time if it's costing the efficiency of the entire system then it's harming more people so should we prioritize the most vulnerable or should we prioritize the most number of people so this is sort of like which side gets more utility which side gets more utility so it's it sounds like a classic debate you know yeah i mean it's also happening in the philippines with our classifications and our dear system while other countries just like give vaccines to whoever wants it especially yeah. if there are high levels of vaccine hesitancy I'm not sure what the hesitancy rate in Korea is but given that not a lot of old people are getting themselves vaccinated that they can't move on to the other age brackets probably means there's a bit of hesitancy that exists there yeah so I guess now we can talk about the next one which is um, the, I guess now we can talk about the next story which is about China courting the Taliban so Nina will talk about this but let me just give a brief rundown of the facts. China is stepping up their diplomatic power by welcoming Taliban forces in Tianjin, uh, which is a city in northeastern China. And China has had talks to the Taliban and has extracted a public pledge from the Taliban that stated that the group would not allow any of their fighters to use Afghan territory as a base to carry out attacks inside China. So you can see that there's a difference here with regard to how the United States and China has dealt with it because both of them have gotten promises basically from the Taliban. It's just that when they 
the US was in charge, the Taliban promises, oh, we're not going to use Afghan territory to, you know, topple the government. But but with China, it's more of like, we are not going to use Afghan territory to attack China, okay? Like, we don't really care about China. So China seems to be filling up the power vacuum left by um, the United States. When it left, it's now apparently acting as the mediator in the Afghan and Taliban conflict. And you can see the difference in approach here. Uh, the Taliban has also shown signs of being open to more diplomacy given that they've also visited other capitals such as Tehran, Moscow, and Ashgabat. Yeah, so this is where we talk about hegemonic stability theory or hegemon stability. Um, what happens usually is that when a hegemon leaves, you don't just expect the vacuum to be filled by systems and by the local governments doing things properly. It's usually just filled with another hegemon. And in this case, with the US leaving, China is stepping up their game basically to have more power within the region, especially since it has the opportunity to do so. So in the absence of one hegemon, just, you know, another one rises. In this case, it's China. And this is a classic debate. I'm pretty sure every time you've talked about the US interventions, whether or not they should intervene or whether or not they should leave a certain country and pull out their troops, China or Russia always comes up. And it, it, it's a meme at this point, but reality shows it's always true. And in this case, this is another instance that you can use to support that kind of argument, stating that that's likely going to happen and it has happened and it's going to continue to happen. Yeah, but make sure that there is like, <clears throat> make sure to have actual matter behind it because like usually you just listen to these arguments and they go like, oh, China and Russia will swoop in out of nowhere. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, if, even if they do sweep in, swoop in, sweep in, sweep, sweep in, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but even if they, they do intervene, right, there, there's a reason and there's something for them to gain. In this case, I feel like China has two things to gain. It's still trying to build up its eco- uh, its economy. So having more partners and more people to trade with basically just means more, more chances of winning. But it also means that they're beating US at their own game. So it's a political battle. It's also an economic battle. So there are reasons why China would be interested interested in this region you just have to make sure you flesh it out the next time you debate about this or if it ever comes up so that's it for the the taliban and china i think we can move on to malaysia now pretty interesting if you don't know who sadiq is hopefully this will give some light into the topic so sadiq used to be a debater and is now a member of malaysia's parliament and they pleaded not guilty after being accused of criminal breach of trust and misappropriation of funds belonging to their former party persatu it was 1 million ringgit or almost 12 million pesos that was cashed out without the party approval. The breach of trust was allegedly made during a donation campaign during the fourth general election. The charge, if proven guilty, would require them to, under section 405 of the penal code, have 10 years in jail, jail caning, and a fine. So this is interesting to me because, I, did I read that right? There's caning? Like, hitting someone with a cane? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, well, you might think that, like, if, if you see caning, like, they're gonna hit you with a cane. No, it's not really... It's not really a cane, right? They, you know, during Holy Week when people used to, you know, slap, whip, this, whip themselves. Penitentia. You know, uh, and then you, you see like those little sticks with a lot of thorns and stuff. Not thorns, but like those little leather straps. Oh. Yeah, and then the, there there are some like thorns in it or depends like sharp. On how, depends like, on the, how hardcore you want to be. Depends on how <laughs> hardcore you are, but like it, it's basically like that, like a, a small whip. So why is it called caning if they're not using a cane? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I know, but but the point is Malaysia does have um, a corporal punishment system, and that in itself is quite debatable. So I I personally do not think that corporal punishment is ever a good thing to do. 
But I don't know, like, it might be a cultural thing. Um, I, I suppose, like, in the Philippines, you, you would see people going like, yeah, we should have something like that for our <laughs> dirty politicians as well. Um, but I do not know enough um, to say if Sadiq is actually a dirty politician or if the charges are true. Um, my focus here is, I feel like there's a greater problem, which is that people don't think that it's legit. And people think that it's politically motivated. Uh, the thing here is, no matter who it is that will be prosecuted, it will be seen as a political move. And the reason for that is that there isn't a lot of perceived independence between the attorney general and the public prosecutor. So the prosecutor is the one that prosecutes, you know, accused criminals. The people who are accused of crimes. Sila yung like, oh, this is the charge. We're going to give the evidence against you. But the attorney general is the lawyer for the government. So in the Philippines, it will be called the solicitor general. Um, so basically, the attorney general um, helps out the government. In the Malaysian system, those two roles are fused together. So whenever one, whenever someone gets prosecuted for corruption, the party that controls the government is seen to be the one that orders it or is the one that's you know pulling the strings. So this. This is why you have this perception that it's all politically motivated instead of it being true justice. In the Philippines, by comparison, the ombudsman uh, independently monitors all three branches of government. So there is some sort of independence there. So we're, I feel like we're marginally better. But you can also understand why there might be some hesitations. Because the ombudsman is appointed by the president. And while the president can only appoint from a short list of candidates, like written up by the Judicial and Bar Council or the JBC, a lot of the members of the JBC are also appointed by the president. So you can see that like the, our system tries really hard for there to be independence, but like in practice you can sort of see why it's not as independent as would be ideal, but at the same time like what would be the alternative for it, yeah. you know? Uh, which brings us to the local part of our episode. The local news. The first thing that we have to talk about, and you know this is like the absolute no-brainer topic for this episode, is Heidelin Diaz. Mm. So Hayden Diaz won the Philippines' first Olympic gold medal in women's 55kg clean and jerk weightlifting in the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. This has ended the 97-year gold medal drought of the country. So Hayden Diaz is set to receive more than 50 million pesos. I, last I checked, um, which was yesterday, it was like 53 million or 58 million. Mm. Um, but she's getting a lot of money. Um, worth of incentives from the Philippine Sports Commission. 10 million comes from the PSC because of Republic Act 10699 and we tweeted about this before. Um, but they're also getting more than that from the country's, the country's richest people. Uh, they would also receive a house in lot <laughs> and also free rides at... <laughs> wow, free rides. Free plane rides. Because mm. if I just say free rides, it sounds like a Disneyland thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah they, they, also, they also have free, like, oddly food in Vikings. Like, buffet, all she can. Solid. Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's, that's amazing. So more than this victory, though, um, more than this victory, it's also very political. So Heidelin was placed, for example, in the Aus-Duterte matrix and the drug matrix. I, I, I am usually very confused whether it's the same thing or different things. It's two different things but merged into one matrix. Yeah, so, so they, they assume why... everyone who's doing drugs also wants to oust the territory or something. Yeah, actually, like, th that's the problem with that. One of the biggest problems with that matrix isn't even the fact that it was built on, like, really shitty investigation. <laughs> it was also, like, very ill-conceived. Yeah, like, basically, it didn't make sense. But, you know, this was very political and it placed Heidelin in that list. Um, ever since, you know, Heidelin has forgiven the administration in 2019 and 
said that she prioritizes the peace of mind that she gets from forgiveness. Duterte has said she should put the past in the past, but Harry Roque, being Harry Roque, you know, rejects, favorite, you know? rejects that this is even the past, denying that Heidelin was tagged in any important matrix, like trying to collectively gaslight the entirety of the Philippines that this list did not exist, which kind of goes against Panelo, who, you know, says that, you know, she did it, <laughs> she was in the list, and she should own up to it. So even her government's not coordinated in who they want to target. So it's, it's just annoying, it's very sad. And, you know, like the moment you succeed, suddenly all of these things vanishes, which is very typical for Filipinos, I feel. The, the sad thing for me is that it's not unexpected for Harry Roque <laughs> to try to gaslight us into believing something. But uh, so definitely, it could be considered red dagging. Um, if I was in Heidelin's position, I'm not sure if I would have forgiven, um, you know, <laughs> them for putting the for putting me in the Matrix. But, oh, the Matrix. But also, don't let them revise history, right? So, like, Heidelin might have forgiven, but we don't have to say that nothing bad happened at all. Actually, I'm quite pissed at, like, forgive and move on narratives because it places the burden on the victims to forgive, to forget, to move on. And Duterte and this administration never even apologized. So, like, even if you're looking at, um, for example, the Marcoses, when they go like, let's just forgive and forget. Let's move on. Why would you move on? No one ever said sorry. No one ever recognized that a wrong has happened. So I, I feel like... <laughs> We have a tendency to expect people to just jump to forgiveness without like recognizing that it is a process and we shouldn't put that process solely on the victim. Mm. And even if one person forgives, in this case, Heidelin has forgiven, doesn't mean we should all forgive. Like we all have our separate feelings about the issue. We all have been affected by the red dagging in one way or another, you know, because it showcased that any individual, no matter how good their intentions are, can be seen badly by this government. So it obviously hurt a lot of people, yeah. right? So anyway, what what if what if someone goes like, why are you so affected? You weren't the one on the matrix. And to which you have to say like, yeah, but why did you get so mad at Pinoy, for example, when he like didn't do so well at addressing the SAF forty four? Like that's not your SAF forty four. Yeah, exactly. So like yeah. you have the right to say, yeah, fuck this. <laughs> I'm not personally affected, but fuck this anyway. Yeah, like this, this is a really bad system, and we should go against it. Anyway, but that's the only the first part of what's political there's also another thing political about all of this olympics thing going on and that's Heidelin's coach who is a chinese individual named gao kai wen and they received massive criticism from the chinese weightlifting team because they did not disclose the maximum weight capacity Heidelin could lift and they feel like it affected their performance as the china's contingent as the chinese contingent sorry that they only won like silver in that um in that category Heidelin has also disclosed in an interview that the win was for the west philippine sea and referred to it as RC. Why was this a big deal? Like, if you're a Chinese coach, do you have a responsibility to tell China like, you know, my the person that I'm coaching is so good now. She really improved. Well, it's not controversial if it were any other country. But China uh, is known for literally raising babies to be gold medalists. Yeah, that's right? true. They, they have an entire culture about like winning the Olympic gold. Anything less is horrible. So there's a real big sense of nationalism that if you're Chinese, you have to help in this initiative. Regardless 
regardless of who hired you, your allegiance should still be to the Chinese team. So, like, the only problem here is that Gao Kaiwen did not tell China that, oh, our, yeah, my my girl got much stronger than before. So, that, that was the thing, like, hindi sinabi na mas malakas siya now as compared to before. Yeah, and I've read this article that there was a lot of um, game theory that went into it as well. So, in the weightlifting category, it's it's not just about how much you can weigh, it's also about, like, the timing of how much you declare you can weigh. So, it, it, it's a psychological battle as well. So, the advantage Heidelin got was actually the fact that uh, they got to carry last, right? So, they their, their goal was only to always one-up China, right? Uh, so, it was a psychological battle, like, okay, I'll declare that I can only weigh, lift 91 at the first part, even if Heidelin could weigh 94, because they wanted to see how China would match it. And then, from there, they kept escalating until uh, I think China declared they could do 126, and then Heidelin was like, I'm gonna do 127. Yeah, I it's just one. it's just one kilogram difference. Exactly. So, I think it was like 120 and something. Yeah. yeah, something and then it's just plus one and that was like, yeah, so yeah. that's how so, she won. So, that was like one. a big mind game as well and that's why it's also very political. Yeah, so that's it for the that issue. I think though, what's, what's funny about all this is that I know so much inadvertently about Heidelin Diaz but nothing about the sauna which took place on the same day like literally the same time yeah literally the same time it got overshadowed and for good reason because I don't think the sauna was pretty good and I remember a time where I would watch the sauna every single year because not only was it a class requirement but there was actually good things to be seen and bad things to be seen that weighed each other out and then you would take notes and Mm. then you'd go like this uh, they're gonna ask about this in tomorrow's class yeah or so I am going to talk about it. Now I don't know what ch- the children and students take away. But anyway, the sauna was held in July 26 and was the longest sauna delivered by any president post-EDSA. It lasted 2 hours and 46 minutes. The first part of the sauna was about a plea to increase compensation for military personnel and for more salaries of people involved in the drug war. Not surprising, not new, been there, done that. It's debatable as well. Too. Yeah, super debatable as well. I don't think they should get any more money, but that's just me. And this was immediately followed by a 30-minute rant regarding the harms of communism and the necessity to destroy them, to improve the economy in the state. Which is weird, right? Because remember Duterte ran on like being the first leftist president and he even he even went so far as to go like, mabuhay ang NPA. He literally said that, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's political. People change their allegiances. Look at Harry Roque. Used to be the defendant of the West Philippine Sea and stuff. And also human rights. And also human rights, especially with their different cases and suddenly they're just like someone else's lap dog. Um, will I get... Am I in trouble for saying things like that? Will I get? Just say that like you were e- e- exaggerating. When yeah, you I'm, said I'm that exaggerating. You're... I'm exaggerating. Of course, you're not a literal lap dog. You are a human being. Things like that, whatever, will get me out of legal trouble. But anyway, after like ranting about the communists that Duterte used to support but now hate, Duterte's biggest achievement was then the next part of the spotlight, and this was about the war on the oligarchs, where he boasted new contracts that were presented to the administration by the Ayalas and Pangilinans. Which is weird because these new contracts were vague, but were a- aimed to replace replace <laughs> replace <laughs> old contracts that were disadvantageous or to Filipinos. So like a, it, it's a very mixed bag in my opinion. Yeah, and despite it being the longest sauna, the speech was still heavily criticized, as we have just criticized, mm-hmm. due to its lacking of discussion of COVID updates. Um, and like this is the priority of the Filipino people when they were surveyed by Pulse Asia. What do you care about? Most of people, most of the people 
people said we care about COVID updates because it's severely restricting our freedoms, our mobility, our movement, etc. More specifically, they wanted to hear the creation of more jobs. So 40% of people under that survey wanted to hear about jobs, the national economy. Only 17% of the respondents wanted to hear about the drug war. Communism was not even a part of the priorities listed in the survey. So um, I, this actually reminds me a little bit of the problem that Trump had because Trump did try to restart the economy but at that point people uh, Americans didn't really want to focus on you know fixing the economy they wanted to focus on fixing the pandemic so when Duterte did talk about the pandemic it was actually worse than what Trump was doing <laughs> because at least Trump was like oh we got this and he just makes fake news <laughs> Duterte uh, said that I, I really don't know what to do I have to listen to the task force so like it was very defeatist it was very uneducated like it assumes that you haven't already listened to the task force because if you had then you wouldn't just be like I don't know <laughs> so the other relevant remark he made was that a new type of lockdown would be looming over the Philippines though yeah and that's true like just this morning they announced that there would be ECQ there is a modified community quarantine right now for five days with heightened restrictions so it's a weird trial period and then suddenly we'll go back into being locked down so I'm basically stuck here with Kyle for the next month not that it's a super bad thing but you know like again we couldn't predict any of these things and that's the difficulty like how do you make long-term plans when just left and right there could be lockdowns that you're not anticipating yeah and the, the problem here is you don't really feel like that much of it because you are in a place of privilege and I am also in mm, a place of privilege of course, but of for people who literally have to go to work in the morning because they're blue-collar workers would like they are going to be so harmed by these like constantly changing policies especially given that it's not NCR plus it's just NCR so imagine if you're living in a place outside of Metro Manila yet you work in Metro Manila like what what that do how you work how you go around how do that how do that you know like, you, you just, do teleport yeah you, you have to somehow do teleportation or live in Metro Manila so that you can still keep your job or otherwise the people who are in Manila get you know I don't know they get special privileges all the time as usual and then people in the peripheries just have to deal with the consequences which isn't fair yeah that's true Um, I think now we can talk about religion so I'll, I'll probably talk about religion uh, you, you talk about religion because <laughs> <laughs> this is my my jam so Nina th- didn't really know about this because you know she doesn't really look at Twitter but I do and <laughs> I like looking at the trends so like every day you see a bunch of K-pop trends you see a bunch of like TV show trends you see a bunch of oh Soki League trends Um, but last week it was sort of special for me well special special because I saw trending hashtags about the Bible. Hashtag truths from the Bible. And like yesterday, there was another hashtag about truths from the Bible. It wasn't truths from the Bible, but it was about the Bible. And it overshadowed another trending topic, which is about ending child rape. So it's, it's a big deal, apparently. So so why did these hashtags come up? You might be confused about why they became trending. But the reason why it became trending was because it is an effort by Ang Dating Daan, which is a, a religion here in the Philippines that is you know a sect of Christianity that believes in a more literalist um, interpretation of the Bible basically what they believe is that if there is something that is not in the Bible do not believe in it as part of your faith so a good example is the Trinitarian conception of God so you you know about this Nina like all Catholics know about this like 
Like there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are three personas in one God. Mm. So the people from Ang Dating Daan say that, oh, that's not true. Like there's nothing in the Bible that says that that's true. So um, they reject the Trinitarian conception of God, but also they say that, you know, the true God is God the Father and Jesus is just lesser compared to God the Father. Kaya truths from the Bible because they, they get everything from the Bible, even if the Bible might be outdated. So one of it is like, should you tell your child that they're adopted and brother Ellie Soriano says well you should tell them when they're old enough to you know bear fruit <laughs> is that really what the bible says or something yeah like um, you should tr- I think what the bible said in that context was you should let your child make their own decisions when they are able to bear fruit quote unquote fruit uh, and then this was fun to say like if you're of the age of majority you know you know the difference between right and wrong you're at an age of discernment would it be fair if I in interpreted that as being able to plant some fruit. <laughs> if they're, I mean, if they're gonna be literal, like, no, I, you tell them the moment they're able to plant fruit. <laughs> I thought that the spin was sort of unfair because like in context, the reason why they were talking about fruit was because it was in the context of marriage. So, that Bible verse, in my opinion, as someone who studies the Bible as well, um, is meant to say that a person should get married when they're able to have children. So, you know, it says a lot because like children can get pregnant at, at 12 or at, 11 yeah or even earlier right yeah, it so depends on your cycle yeah so i understand why they had to change that um but if if you look at just the bible it's very outdated so if you're getting just from there it gets a bit wonky in my opinion this is my religious opinion <laughs> very strongly held religious um, opinion anyway the reason i wanted to bring this up is that a lot of it is quotes from the recently deceased leader of ang dating daan which is brother eli soriano which is a bit problematic for me because it feels like an attempt to sanitize his legacy. So if you're a law student, you might know that Eli Soriano was in some cases about freedom of speech and freedom of religion because um, Brother Eli Soriano had um, a radio show where he constantly criticizes other religions, like calling them sons of horse, you know, like mm. worse than Satan, spawns of Satan, stuff like that. So I don't really feel bad about calling them, you know, outdated and stuff because that's just my religious opinion, no? Uh, but if, anyway... Um, the MTRCB once prevented his program to defame and curse out um, Iglesia Ni Cristo members. But Eli Soriano also has a bunch of libel cases. And he had a rape case where it was alleged that he raped the assistant general secretary of his church. And while a lot of these cases, including the rape case, was never ruled upon, it is worth noting that he refused to appear in court and actually escaped to Brazil. So when he died last February in Brazil, like, everyone was mourning. Like, even Duterte went, <laughs> even Duterte sent his condolences and mm-hmm. he didn't even do that for his predecessor so I'm a bit scared to call this out because they might say oh no I'm defaming their dead leader to which I say well I'm just saying literally what happened <laughs> like there's literally like a, a, a case about rape where there were certain allegations and although he was not you know declared guilty the fact that there are allegations and that we're trying to forget that by starting up new hashtags is still a red flag for me so speaking of red flags 
Let's now talk. <laughs> How am I gonna spin this into the next story? <laughs> Speaking of red flags, I feel like if you are going to shame someone for not doing something due to mental health reasons, that is a big red flag. Which leads us to our story about Simone Biles. <laughs> okay, that was that was a good attempt. I feel like a better transition would have just been to be about like you know people on social media not always reliable can be used to sanitize <laughs> can also be used to criticize, which leads us perfectly to Simone Biles. <laughs> so we have two different transitions to the same thing. Yeah, just like, I just, just feel pick. like I feel like mine's better. But anyway, Simone Biles, um, y- y- we all know her. They're gymnasts, and they left the women's gymnastics finals at the Tokyo Games on Tuesday because they weren't in the right headspace mentally to compete. They said it's not clear whether uh they'll still compete in the individual events. It doesn't seem likely. But as Team USA star, she was expected to bring home gold medals, and the weight of the those expectations loomed over her. So on Tuesday, she said she began to fight all those demons and couldn't hold them back and therefore had to step down. And this Olympic Games, they said, I wanted to be myself when I came in and I felt like I was doing it for other people. End quote. Bile said it was the biggest upset for the US uh, at the Tokyo Games. Um, But, you know, I feel like just talking now about mental health, I don't see anything bad about what they did. If they weren't in the proper headspace, then it's fine. Even if it meant Russia was gonna take home the gold, it's it's just a medal compared to a possible life, compared to a lifetime of like your feelings, compared to as well how you view yourself um but obviously twitter had a lot to say about it like suddenly everyone who used to do gymnastics had like their own thoughts everyone who used to be an athlete in any capacity was like oh if i were in simone biles position i wouldn't quit like that's the thing sweetheart you'll never be in their position my thing though is most actual like athletes were in full support of that so like what do you mean actual athletes are there fake athletes no like there are people who like i do gymnastics as a hobby and i would never quit the olympics is such a big opportunity for me yeah. why would i do that why do or they turn it to goofy it's not what accent? goofy what, what accent was that i don't know but anyway know. anyway but anyway yeah so most of the actual gymnasts that are very influential like Caitlin nohashi who is the the, the queen oh I know stuff she is the queen of the perfect tense mm-hmm. because her most like important um, routines she got perfect tense nice. and there were even times when um, before she would get higher scores than Simone Biles mm. it's just that because of mental health reasons like she kept being uh, body shamed by her former coach she said I don't want to be great anymore um, I'm going to step down from elite which is like a, a different um, category I suppose like a, a, like you know open and like the novice. open ca- and, and novice <laughs> yeah you know it, it's like that um the elite one is the super pro and then she went down to a lower category and she succeeded immensely there because she found a coach that was really good for her mental health wise and she said that if you are not in a mentally sound position this could have been life-threatening so basically if you're saying that like oh you should just fought through it that means like you would literally have her risk her life and she might have died in order to satisfy your perceived need to see someone else get a gold which is like a terrifying thing for me and people were saying like oh is she teaching the youth to be quitters is she teaching the youth to be quitters um so if something will literally kill you if you're not in the right mindset and if you're going to attempt a life-threatening thing and you're not mentally ready for it and you think you might fail i think it's right to quit like stop this bullshit about never quitting ever because if, if it's really 
going to hurt you or like you're scared that it might hurt you it's okay for you to quit like take some time and you don't owe anyone anything um so if if people go like well because she pulled out she cost the united states the gold medal um but like this is a team event So if you are relying on just one person, then the problem isn't with the individual athlete. It's a team thing. It's a management problem, mm. right? So so speaking of management, let's move <laughs> on to the next story, the last one for this episode. We should really plan our transitions ahead of time. No, I, I planned this. This is 100% okay, my plan. Okay. This that was a team management issue. And speaking of management, let's talk about how Britney Spears <laughs> has all of her properties and her entire life managed by someone else. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Go ahead. So, Britney Spears has a new lawyer uh, is fighting up a fight for um uh, putting up a fight against the conservatorship. So, conservatorship is basically the, you know, putting someone into um a, a system wherein they cannot completely make all the decisions regarding their finances and regarding their own bodies. So we have this in the Philippines and also in, in most jurisdictions around the world where if you are mentally incapacitated, like if you're a child or you have dementia, for example, someone can apply to, you know, uh, become the conservator. And basically what they do is they protect your properties and they protect you from doing something that might jeopardize you. I mean, so, that's the best case interpretation. Like it's all for good, good intention, protection, etc. Yeah. So she has been in the conservatorship for 13 years already since 2000. 2008. So for people who were alive during that time, you might remember um, she had like a total mental breakdown. Oh, we could have used this as the ano uh, the transition or the mental health aspect. But anyway, <laughs> I'm going back. I'm going back to the past. You never look back. It distracts from the now. Ooh, but, but, end the, <laughs> <end> the moment. <laughs> but anyway, like in 2008, she had a mental breakdown, and that caused her to be put under a conservatorship to protect her um, from herself, her finances, etc. The problem is. Um, even though she's gotten better, her father, um, uh, her father who was like managing her properties, um, was preventing her from actually being free. So like she could not do what she wanted in terms of work. So she was very burnt out with one like particular uh, tour, and she said that she didn't want to do it. And as a result, she was forced to take even worse medication, um, stronger medication that really puts you in a bad headspace. Um, she was not allowed to control her reproductive. Choices. Um, she has an IUD inside of her, and even though she wants to have a baby, she can't take it out because it's against the terms of her conservatorship. Um, but anyway, her father is also um earning from this. So the the situation here is that they believe that Britney Spears is good and rational enough to earn money and pay her father sixteen thousand dollars as compensation per month for managing his daughter's estate. But no one believes that she is rational enough. Enough to provide and act on her like own self and make her own decisions. So that is the problem here. So the this is where you get the hashtag free Britney or the free Britney movement that's basically trying to like end the conservatorship. So the update here is she has a new lawyer splitting up a fight for Britney Spears, seeking to remove her father Jamie Spears from the conservatorship.
dictatorship that she has been put under since 2008. Yeah, so there's a lot of progress actually happening already. Like, this is the first time that, for for one, she was allowed a lawyer. And that wasn't allowed before under the conservatorship. Like, like she had problems getting a lawyer for herself because the father wouldn't let her. But she managed to fight for that and say, well, that, that just doesn't make sense if I can't even challenge this thing. What's the point of having clauses that let someone challenge a conservatorship? So it makes sense that those things exist now. And I think that, you know, the, the more we see stories about Britney, the more that meme before makes sense. The whole leave Britney alone thing that everyone made fun of. Like, it makes sense now. And, like, I feel bad for being part of the people that used to make fun of that and used to not see the point. But, like, yeah, it's a mental health thing. I'm glad society has evolved. I'm glad that we are now having conversations about mental health. Not everyone's on the same page, but that's fine. The same way that a lot of things, even if we don't think they're debatable, are still debatable to a lot of people. But that's, you know, that's the point of having these conversations. That's the point about learning more about the world. That's the point of matter loading. Well, yeah, thank, you, thank you, thank you. So I, I think that's it for this episode of Matter Loading with Nina and Kyle. Once again, I'm Nina. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening. All right. We'll see you next week. We still, we still need to like think of a way to end these episodes. I, we'll figure it out. Like th- That's what we did last time. We'll figure it out. Anyway, bye. Bye. Bye.